Good morning, church. Open your Bibles. If you have a copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 3. We are all the way, all the way into the third chapter of 1 Peter. Somebody say woohoo. Come on. I know. It's exciting. Exciting. We're, we're making progress. And as we do, along the way, we have maybe an overwhelm as we're going through a book of the Bible, right? Like, where are we? Where have we been? Peter has said that this is true of Christians. So far, this is what he said of born-again believers. He says, we're all born again by God's mercy to a living hope. We all have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. He said, your salvation is one that the prophets of old, they long to know about and that angels wondered about. And it's a life that you've been called to holiness, totally surrendered to God. You've been ransomed by Jesus, bought back out of slavery, out of the old life, and your part in this life is that you are a stone, a living stone as part of a house that God is building. You're one brick in the wall, but you're an essential part and that the church can't operate and can't function without you playing your role. And Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the head. He's the foundation. He's the boss of it all. Jesus died for you to live. And God is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's a compassionate leader that wants to come and meet you where you're at and walk with you every single day. We've covered a lot of territory, okay? So those are the past two chapters. Today may be one of the most controversial messages you've ever heard in your entire life. Everybody ready for that? For some, it's going to be hard to hear. For others, you might be cheering, but for the wrong reasons. So we got to check where each of us is at. Peter says we are all equal. We're all equal in the eyes of God, but we play different roles. We play different parts. And he's about to dive into the family, okay? So we're going to have a little bit of family feud later, okay? That's coming in the message. What is God calling a man to do and a woman to do in regards to the gospel at home in relationship as a family? And do you believe that God's way is different than the world's way as far as we, we operate differently as a family? We operate differently in our marriages. We, we operate differently. We, this is where we've been too. Peter says we are totally different at work, our workplace. We work differently. We're different types of employees. We follow Jesus. Therefore, we follow differently to the authority that's over our life. And today, he's going to go right here. He's going to say there is hope even in the darkness, no matter what you're facing, and he's going to talk to wives first, okay? So Peter would say this, wives, you have a hope that is a hope in God, and you can live a godly and a fearless life because you're following Jesus. You can be a radically different type of woman because you are a woman of hope, and you're not hoping in the horizontal being exactly what you dreamed of. Your hope is vertical, and therefore you respond and you live differently. You value different things. I notice the, the struggle for a man to get up and tell a wife how to be a wife. Is that, is that a struggle a little bit? This is one of a thousand reasons that I love God's Word. God is not telling us just to teach people based on our experience. He's saying that anybody can speak God's Word into any situation regardless of if they understand it or have experienced it or not because God's Word is so true. This is the authority, right? And we come under the authority of God's Word. And so obviously there are women in the room that can be a greater help to help other wives live this out, but we need to understand what God has said first, right? So if you are ready, say ready. Jot this down. Wives, live fearless and godly in Jesus' name. And how do we do that? How do we do that? How do you live fearless and godly? All right, 
Peter, talk to us. Verse 1. You see it there? 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, because he just got done saying, submit to authority, submit to government, submit to leadership, submit to your boss. And then he continues on. Same context is likewise. In the same way, wives, here's your role. Here's your beautiful calling. Be subject. Submit to your own husbands. Okay? And so we, we need a little bit of clarity. Okay? This is so controversial just to even say a Bible verse. Okay? Usually if you say John 3.16, you don't get slapped. In our culture, you just read a verse and you could probably get attacked. Okay? So I know where that verse is landing in our culture, but the biggest question is where is it landing on us if we are followers of Jesus? Hopefully we receive it. A wife submitting in marriage is a bold lifestyle of coming under her husband's care and leadership for God's glory. So can we start off with this? Because I just I am so helped, all right? I'm so helped by can we clarify what something is not? Okay. So this is what submission is not. I don't know if you, you got some notes there. Submission is not ultimate as if the husband has ultimate authority. Because who has ultimate authority in your life? Uh, Jesus does. He's the boss. So the reality is, husbands, we don't have ultimate authority. But there's an attitude of submission because we're submitting to, to Jesus, right? So not ultimate authority, not that. What else is it not? Uh, ladies, we can just clarify one thing. You are not called to submit to all men. Everybody say praise the Lord. All right, all right. I, some of you are more excited than others about that. Uh, you're not called to submit to every single husband in the world. That, that would be a little scary, right? Because I think every husband's got a, a pretty strong opinion about how any, anybody should live, right? Um, but it's, it's not all. It's just yours, your own. What else? It, it's not enforced by the husband, um, here's a little snippet for, for husbands. Husbands, your role is not to ensure that your wife submits. That, that's not your job. You're not the police of her submission. Jesus is the one that enforces a submissive heart. Husbands, we do not weaponize. We don't use this as a club to beat our wives into submission. It's not enforced by husbands. It's a call from God. How about this? Relinquishing, relinquishing all rights. Well, this this is... A big one. Well, if you're really submissive, you would just totally surrender and give up to whatever is dictated in the home. It's, it's not that. It's not complete relinquishing. It's not, I need to lose all my desires to influence him or to make things better in my home. It's not that. What else is it not? It's not, I'm supposed to play the role of a doormat. Everybody say it's not that. It, it's not being a doormat. It's not, I, I'm just weak and I just got to give up. It's not passive, it's active, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, how about this? It's not all-encompassing. Anything that is said must go. It's not that. Because many times husbands are, as wicked sinners, asking, requesting, and demanding that their wives do things that are not honoring in the sight of God, and therefore wives should be, I'm not doing that, right? I'm not going to go down that path. I'm not going to cheat and I'm, I'm not going to sin. It's not all-encompassing and it's not an issue of inferiority. Okay? Can we be clear about that? Well, because men are smarter and men are stronger. Uh, not that. Not that at all. It's not about intelligence or competence. And so, all right, are we clear over there? Uh, if we know what it's not, we need to be helped by what is it? Okay? So here's, here's four things. I don't know if this is going to be helpful, but uh, we'll, we'll throw these out. I think from a biblical perspective, God is saying this. God's saying, 
that submission is voluntary because it's beautiful when a wife chooses to voluntarily voluntarily come under. How about this? It's singular. It's singular in focus. It's not divided among other authorities. There is one, right? And here's, here's the posture. The posture of the heart is one that wants to serve. It's a posture of being eager to, not fighting and being reluctant. What's your, what's your posture? It's a posture of the heart before it's ever anything on the outside. And I love this, that at the end of the day, we can say this, it's God's design. God designed the family in a certain way. Do you think that a perfect God that is perfectly loving and all-knowing and fully in control, do you think he's got a better design for the family than you do? I hope you're shaking your head. Like, uh, yeah, that's an understatement. Whatever God sets up in structure, uh, he does it perfectly. The issue is we have our own ideas and we have our own feelings, and those are not always on the same page, right? So that's what submission is not, what it is. We could go further, but let's go further in the word. What does it say? Likewise, wives, submit to your own husbands, be subject to them. Why? Why? Can I get a why from some ladies? Why, 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 why? Oh, Peter, thank you for answering. So that, because, so that even if some do not obey the word, we're talking about unbelieving husbands, so that a husband says, I don't believe what you believe. We're not on the same page. We're not on the same team. Yes, I know you're on team Jesus. You tell me all the time. I'm not on your team. We're not together in that. Let's agree to disagree. What's your response? Your submissive posture does this. That they, an unbelieving husband, may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. This, this is pretty awesome. What is happening in many homes is that the light is shining in the daily activity at home by believing wives actually believing. When nobody else is looking, but he's looking, she's shining. And something's happening in the heart of an unbelieving, hardened, calloused man that's rejecting the Gospel and rejecting Jesus. He's won over. How? By her conduct by the way she lives, by her lifestyle, not by her talk and not by anything else, not dragging, but by living, by living this. So he says, your submission is a light in the darkness. You are submitting to the king and you are shining brightly at home. Her submissive attitude quietly, everybody say quietly, it quietly presents the gospel to her husband, never manipulating or nagging him into godliness. Somebody say that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, you're fully convinced of that, aren't you? Yeah, I can, I can feel it. The conviction, it's strong. Strong with this one. How about this? Live an authentic Christian life for him to see, not just to hear. This is a big deal. The gospel must be heard. Can we clarify? The gospel is good news that is declared. It needs to be heard. It must be heard. And then that message is backed up with a life of a believing wife. There's something powerful that Peter's going after here. Do you, do you think that maybe in the early church this was a big deal? Do you think in the early church that 
Maybe there was an issue of there's a whole lot of believing women that are willing to say yes to Jesus and gather together as a body. And when they gather, there's such an awareness that Peter's like, I know what's happening at home. I know he's not sitting next to you. I know that you're not having these kind of spiritual conversations when you leave this place. So here's the solution, and it's not what you think. It's by your life, not by your nagging. It's by your life. And could I, could I, could I just say, just as a, as a little bit of a side note, do you know who else is watching in families? Do you know who else is observing? Daughters are watching mamas. And the question is, are mamas leading daughters astray by the way that they do not live out in conduct the way that Peter's calling. Sons are watching. And our sons observing, if this is what Christianity is about, I'm with dad. Who needs this garbage? Who, who needs a hypocritical, nagging wife? I'm not marrying a Christian woman. If that's what they're like, I'm going to go find a whore. <laughs> I'm going to live it up, right? I'm not going to find this goody two-shoes that just nags and attacks and is hypocritical at home. I don't want that for my future. I'm not going to multiply that in my generation. And so every generation is observing. And do you believe that this has been going on for a while? Generation after generation of mom, dad, believer, unbeliever, where do I go? What direction? Who should I follow? Who should I really buy into the proper way of life? We want to be a church that's different. We want to be a church that breaks generational curses. We want to be a church that sees something different for the next generation. And I wonder if for many of us, I, I'm a first-generation Christian, so I, I can speak from a place of I know what it's like to go first. And I know the battle that it is to try to figure out how to live different than all the generations that have preceded. Everything you know and that's familiar to be able to cut off and say, no more! This is not happening again in my house. This has been going on for too many generations. It ends with me. That's powerful. And then all hell breaks loose to oppose that kind of passion and conviction. And I would say, at least here, Peter's saying, wives, it's worth it. It's worth it to fight the enemy of darkness and to fight everything inside of you that you've been trained up to believe and to live Everything that was normal for you when you come to Jesus, that's not normal anymore. That's old, something new, and the new is better. The new is better. And Peter is, is wanting so badly to see the gospel move out and for people's lives to be radically changed. And here it is. <laughs> Verse 2. Ladies, how do you live fearless and godly? How do you do this? Verse 2. When they see, what are they going to see in your conduct? Peter, help us to be practical. Help us to actually live this life. I don't know what to do when they see your respectful and pure conduct. More concerned about what God thinks, not, not what anybody else thinks. Seeing the, the God-honoring respect and the holy, the pure conduct. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of your hair and putting on of gold, jewelry, and clothing yourself and concerned about what you wear verse 4 but everybody say but there it is but let your adorning be the hidden person the hidden woman of the heart with imperishable beauty what does that look like peter 
It looks like a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is so very precious. It's beautiful. The beauty of the heart is beautiful to God. God is not impressed by all of the externals. He's saying this is where the power is at. It's what's going on inside, not outside. And number two, if you're, you're jotting this down, number one, if you didn't get it, submit to your husband out of submission to God. And verses two through four, let's take a look at this. Focus on true and lasting beauty. True and lasting beauty. You're adorning. This is the, the focus of the energy. This is the time-consuming thing every single day is where's my heart at? Where's my heart at? What is happening inside of me that's going to come outside of me? Ladies, can we clarify? Is it sinful to... Uh, to shop all down the cosmetic aisle. Is, is that wrong to be able to be thinking about what you're going to wear and buying new heels and the dresses and makeup? And Is that wrong? Is that sinful? No, 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 no. But it's wrong if that is your preoccupation. It is wrong if that's your focus of where your value system is at. I am as beautiful as I can make myself to appear. That's who I am. And Peter would say, you got it wrong. And Satan wants you to believe that and the world wants to convince you of that and God has a brand new value system. Something should be going on inside. If you're a follower of Jesus, your heart is now turning in a totally different direction. This is awesome. This is awesome. Focus on true and lasting beauty. What does he say? What does that look like? Two words. Here, here's two words that Peter chooses. And he says this, be gentle and be quiet. That's beautiful to God. In heart, be gentle and quiet. What is he not saying? He's not saying, if you're really a follower of Jesus, all wives should shut up. Everybody say he's not saying that. Regardless of personality, regardless of background, every woman following Jesus is changing. Maybe not the way that she talks. She might be boisterous. She might be loud. She might be a leader. She might have spiritual gifts that are out front and are extroverted. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's not saying, you used to be really talkative as a pagan. Now shut your mouth, woman. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, in your heart, is your heart becoming gentle like Jesus? Is your heart quiet? We're not talking about volume coming out. We're talking about your inner self. And only you know where you're at, right? Because why would he say that? Why would he go to these two descriptors? Because every worldly woman is hard and calloused and harsh and is outspoken and demanding and bossy by her sinful nature. And Jesus changes all that. At the heart level, not conform, behave in church. All right, ladies, behave. Be gentle in church. Be quiet in church. That's not Peter's issue. He's saying all day long when you live out your life, there is something going on inside of you and it's going to show up. It's going to spill out. When your husband bumps into you, something's going to spill over. He's like, I want your heart to be different because it's so in love with Jesus, so willing to follow in his footsteps because he was gentle and lowly in heart. The only time that Jesus says, this is what I'm like on the heart level, he says, I'm gentle and I'm humble. So the pursuit of every wife is, I just want to be more like Jesus. It has nothing to do with the marriage itself. It has everything to do with, he's conforming me and changing me to be more like Jesus. And this is how it shows up. 
I'm not obsessed with the externals anymore. I have a unique personality and I need to be me, but gentle in spirit. There's something about a quiet mind and a quiet heart. How do we do that? So ladies, you probably should have some conversations with uh, another wife after, okay? And talk through this, all right? But I think here is some, some assignments, right, to think about. Here's some assessments that you can make. And so here's our family feud. We got it? We got it? I don't think we have any sound effects, okay? In order sometimes for us to know what it looks like, we need to clarify what it doesn't look like, all right? Here's a top 10. What are the 10 ways that wives dress ugly? And we're not talking about what they wear. We're not talking about the externals. We're talking about in the heart, in the inner you. Here's the top 10. So on the, on the board, number 10, what do we got? If you're living the old life, there is a lot of anger that lingers still from where you used to be. And God is looking for a heart that's different than this. Complaining and venting and fighting and nitpicking and provoking arguments and the anger that is deep within an angry heart comes out, right? We got number nine, selfish, demanding, perfectionistic, manipulative. That's the old heart. That's the old way. And it's going to show up in a marriage every single day when you're provoked, right? When you have a husband that is not so perfect and all of this is starting to spill out. Angry, selfish, it's, it's ugly. God's like, it's got to go. How about this? Number eight, ladies to be busy all the time. I'm just busy. My schedule is full. I'm just... And the question I always ask is, what are you running from? Because if you're always on the run, you're trying to escape and hide from something. And husbands notice that you are always distracted, non-attentive, worldly values, busy chasing something, running from something. How about, how about number seven? Everybody said? Stubborn in a hundred different ways. I just wrote down sexually distant, cold, unsupportive, stubborn. My way, my timing. We're not going to do your thing. It's too late. I waited for you to be the leader of the home. You haven't done it. You failed. Ah, time up. My turn. And the old woman rises up in the stubbornness displayed. It's ugly. It's ugly to your husband. It's ugly to God. How about this number six? What do we got? Everybody said? Attention-seeking, worldly, flirting, social media, looking for likes. And your husband's going, what are you doing over here needing to seek out attention. I thought I was, I was here. I, I thought we were married. And the reality is, well, you're not giving me what I want. Therefore, I'm going to find it somewhere else. Everybody say that's a problem. Do you, do you think that happens? Do you think that happens? Do we have enough time today to talk about all the ways that it looks like and how it plays out? We do not. We do not have time, attention, seeking. How about number five? Let's say this together. Oh, every man is like, yes, finally, that's it. The feeling of being disrespected may be higher on the sensitivity scale of men and specifically husbands than, than ladies. And when there's an attitude of belittling and sarcasm and undermining, it's got to go. It's, it's ugly. And so we talked about the, the issue of slander. One of the things that happens, right? is that husbands are keenly aware of how their wives speak about them when other people are around. Well, he just needs to learn, and somebody needs to tell him, and he's always doing that, and he never... You should probably hit social media because there's not a big enough crowd here for you to feel 
pleased that everybody knows all of my failures and flaws. And the disrespect is losing influence and the light is flickering and fading in the influence of a wife. There is no godliness in regards to disrespectful attitude. How about number four? Let's put it up. Everybody said envious. Four ladies comparing, resenting, discontent, lusting, wanting, chasing after, never enough. And do you think that every husband already feels insecure about, I know that we don't have everything that you would like, and I know that I'm not making enough, and my status is not high enough, and, and all of the insecurities, specifically in an unsaved husband, that a wife is saying, let me stoke the satanic fire to make sure that I let you know all the things that I want and can't have and that you're not providing and that it's not enough, it's not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. And every believing wife can say, because Jesus is enough for me, this marriage is enough because I'm not seeking to get, I'm seeking to give. And I don't have to shop around. How about this? Number three, we're getting to the top three. Everybody say, here we go, bitter, ungrateful, harboring hurts, unforgiveness. And where is that taken out? a lot. It's in marriage. And it doesn't even matter if guys are part of the problem, they are part of the problem. And it's expressed in so many ways of bitterness and it's ugly. It's ugly. How about this number two? Everybody said neglectful. There's no nurturing. What is housekeeping? Relationships that need to be kept up, maybe within family or connections to say, no, I'm really going to live for me. I'm going to pursue my thing and neglect what God is calling me to do and it's a problem and husbands see where priorities lie and how about this last one number one everybody say foolishness deeply ingrained that if you were raised in a home in a multi-generational home where there was constant foolishness foolish decisions made foolish words said foolish interactions that that does not release easy it's still deeply ingrained and it shows up in a new home, a new family, in a new marriage. And here's the call. you got to put this away. It's ugly. Where there's lying and there's hiding and there's keeping secrets. Or the other foolish thing is everything is exposed. Why is it that everybody at church knows all of my flaws and I haven't spoken to any of them, says the husband. And the wife's like, hmm, I don't know how they found out. Gentle and quiet spirit says, this is between him and I. It's not between the whole church. Things on social media are not to expose what's happening behind closed doors. That's foolishness. God says you need to stop making public what should be private. Do you think we live in a day where nothing is private anymore? Everything is revealed and exposed? Christians, we're different. We're different than that. Christian wives, we're different than that. We don't go where the world goes. We're different in marriages. So how do you live fearless and godly? Here we go. Verse 5. Peter, help us. We know what it's not. We know where we need to grow. Why is this such a big deal? Verse 5 says this. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God. There it is. Hoped in God. Let's say that together. Hoped in God. Hoped in God. How did women throughout the centuries millennia, how have they lived? Well, they adorn themselves. They, they dress themselves differently by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him master or Lord, 
and here's, and we, we got to go there, right? Somebody say, explain that, please. All right, yeah, yeah, we need, we need a little bit of explanation there, right? You are her children. Throughout Scripture, we, we hear this constant uh, mantra of, you are a child of Abraham. You are sons of Abraham. You are daughters of Sarah. Why is that? Because there is a founding of our faith. And as we look back, historically, we see Abraham stepped out of a godless, pagan family dynamic, generations of paganism, and he stepped out by faith and said, I'll go first. And he took his family on a journey where they didn't know where they were going. They didn't have the manual. They didn't have the playbook on how to do family different. By faith, they went forward. And here's the reality. We look back and we go, man, we are here because so many have gone before us and they have paved the way. They have shown us how it works. Could I speak to our ladies? There is a tendency to think, well, there's no examples. Where are all the mature ladies? Who's going to teach me? And I don't know who I'm supposed to look up to. The church is a bunch of hypocrites and I can't find anybody that's genuinely living it. And could I just say, You've had thousands and thousands of years with godly women that have lived it under horrific circumstances and they were faithful. Okay, Maybe you don't have somebody calling you every day as a coach or a mentor. You have all of history to look at that there has always been godly women that did things that were really, really hard. For instance, why is Sarah mentioned? Sarah's mentioned because her awesome godly husband lied about who she was and threw her in the den. I don't know, my sister, she could be your prostitute. I don't know, this is a great idea. This is how I'm going to live as a husband. Abraham, really? The man of faith? He was scared to death and he shook off his position of leader, protector, and provider. And with his tail between his legs, he said, don't hurt us as he entered into a kingdom that was foreign and an unknown future of what was going to happen. And he pawned off his wife to appease the king and the, the uppers. Well, here's the reality. It didn't happen just once. It happened twice. And what did Sarah do? She had a choice to make, right? Crossroads. If my husband ever does anything, she said, I'm trusting my God. My God is bigger than my idiot husband. My God is stronger and more powerful to provide even if my husband is a total slacker. Okay, Even if he fails in his role, I'm trusting my God and I'm moving over more and more by faith, inching forward to an unknown future. She didn't know what was going to happen. And guess what really happened? The story goes, history tells us, and as we look at Genesis, we see that God intervened. God showed up in spite of a epic failure of a leader husband do you know what peter's telling the church learn from that you can trust this god when your hope is in your god your hope is not i'll finally loosen up a little bit i will finally enter into an attitude and a posture of submission when he gets the stuff right and gets his life in order when he starts leading when he starts speaking a certain way and leading a certain way, when he stops making stupid decisions, then I will finally submit. Then Peter's like, you got it wrong. He's like, church, this is how the gospel is seen. This is how light shines. is when powerfully fearless women trust in a trustworthy God 
even in spite of the failures of their earthly authority, leaders, influencers, even when everybody fails, God will not. He will not fail. Turn to your neighbor and say, God will not fail. He will not fail. He will not fail. You can trust Him and you can look to these examples. This is so awesome. Women throughout history have trusted their God, submitting to their husbands, not because they deserve it. Not because they deserve it. Should I say it one more time? Not because they deserve it, but because God deserves submission. And therefore, God has placed the man that is in your life or will be in your life. Do you believe that God is in control? This is who He's placed in my life. I am coming under God as I'm coming under Him. Not because He deserves it. Sarah's an example. She was not perfect. She made some messes, but ultimately her hope was in God and we get to read it all these years later. So how do you live a fearless and godly life? We got, we got one last one. Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. Here we go. Lastly, hope in God. Hope in God this way. You're going to hope in God by fearing nothing that is frightening. How do you do that? Well, Peter says this. If you do good, if you do good, right, you are going to show that you are actually a child of faith. You're going to show that you're a daughter of Sarah. You're going to show that you are living in such a way that you're honoring God if, if, everybody say if, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. That, that's a weird construct, right? Don't fear anything that is frightening. Why, why, why does he say it like that? Well, here's the reality. The things, ladies, right, that you're called to not fear are things that are actually horrifically scary. Okay? What he's saying is, I, don't be so anxious about stuff you're making up in your head. He's not saying that. He's not saying, uh, don't just stress out about all the what-ifs of the future. Peter is saying, if we're going to have godly homes and we're going to be a church with godly families and godly marriages, it's going to take women that look at actual fearful things. I am horrified of what's really happening and what is about to happen. It's really there. I'm intimidated. I am scared. I'm about to make a really foolish decision in response. But he says, don't fear. Fear is going to drive you to foolishness. Instead, hope in God right now. Hope in God in the things that are actually scary. Well, how bad is it going to get? It's probably going to be worse than you thought, but you're hoping in God. I, I love this. Fear nothing that is frightening. What does a fearless life look like? Well, we can go back to what does it not look like? It looks like not taking it in your own hands that when you are scared of what's going to happen, that you hijack your circumstances, that you get behind the wheel and that you take it in your direction of safety because your direction of safety is in the opposite direction of God's covering and His protection. By you running and escaping and hiding, you're not just running from your problems that are fearful, you're running from God. Somebody say that's a problem. And we do that, right? I'm waiting on God. God's not showing up. I'm going to do something about it. And God's like, Stay under my protection. And I know you're scared, but fear nothing that is frightening, but stay with me. Stay here. Do not run. Do not run. Do not run. Don't take it in your own hands. Don't get even. Don't try to escape. Because do you believe that there's some husbands out there that are absolutely horrifying? I, I, I wish as a pastor I didn't have a list of having to drag husbands out of their own homes because they were about to physically 
hurt or even kill their wives and their church members. And they're helping serving in ministries and then going home and husbands that are choking their wives. And I'm getting phone calls at 1 a.m. saying, I'm going to die if you don't show up. I wish I didn't have stories like that. There are horrifying circumstances that wives are facing, whether it's an unbelieving so-called Christian husband or an atheist, agnostic, pagan husband. Wherever there's unbelief, there is actions that husbands take not to protect but to hurt and to harm. But I also have beautiful stories of walking with couples that have gone through that and wives saying, I'm willing to fight for my marriage. You're what? I'm willing to stay where God has placed me. I'm trusting God and I want reconciliation and I want this to work. Because when we said I do till death do us part, I meant it. And I'm going to do whatever it takes as far as it's up to me. And I've watched marriages restored. And I've also watched wives honor God as they went through years and years of continuous struggle until finally he abandoned. And now she's free but she honored God in the process. Do you think this is easy stuff that we're talking about? This is supernatural. This is supernatural. Nobody in the world is doing this. You don't have examples in your extended family, probably. You don't have a legacy in your family of generations that have done whatever it took to fight and win and overcome. You may be the first to say, I'm fighting. I'm going to fight God's way. God changed my heart to be gentle, to be quiet, I want to see him one to Jesus. And it's not by what I say. It's, it's my conduct. It's my actions. It's my behavior. It's my attitudes that are going to show him this is what God's like. He's for me. And I'm with him. And I'm willing to follow him. Even though you're a total jerk, I'm a Jesus follower. And this is what it looks like. That's different. That's different. I wish I could say, as a pastor, I have always been an awesome husband that Sarah loved to submit to and loved to follow. But part of our story is that I had no examples at all. I had no idea what I was getting into and I didn't know what to do once I stepped into it. And part of our story is that Sarah tried for a few years to, uh, I'm going to change this man. And I needed a lot of changing. And I was, I was saved and called to ministry and still the old me was still very present. And I had no idea how to be a godly husband. And Sarah's way wasn't working because Sarah's way never works. And after year number three or four, she quit. She didn't quit our marriage. She quit being the God of our marriage. She quit being the rescuer and the savior. She quit being the nagging to Jesus wife. Here's the reality. In our flesh, we are a mess. And we can say, man, you're the problem. No, you're the problem. We, we both bring the mess to the table. But something changes when we say, I'm going to do it God's way. I wouldn't be in ministry today. I wouldn't be here today. I would not be a pastor today if it wasn't for a wife that put up, maybe not with an unbelieving as far as not going to heaven, but unbelieving in a lot of very practical ways of not believing what God has said and not willing to submit to God's call to me as a husband, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And so I, I can testify that I am different because of a submissive wife.
And the Sarah that you see in public is the same Sarah that is in private. She's real. It's real. And there's no pretending and there's no facades, but that's radical transformation willing to submit to a really lousy leader that failed and failed and failed and messed up and chose left when God said right and not by speaking, but by quietly and gently following even to some really dark places so that God could get a hold of me. So Sarah was willing to duck so that I could get the uppercut by God and that she wasn't in the way of what God wanted to do. And I don't know what God wants to do in our church. I don't know what He wants to do in our families, but God, what are you calling me to do? And it starts today. I'm going to do it.